1: fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.
2: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. G'day,
3: this is Better Make It Quick. It's Wednesday, uh, which means that... We're going to go back in time to an episode that Brie, our researcher, has gone and found and gone, you know what? People need to listen to this one again. And here we are. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thanks for being a part of it. This show is called Better Than Yesterday. It does what it says in the box. We've been here since 2013. And there's a bunch of conversations that go all the way back 10 years uh, that cover everything. Uh, and this one covers me quite uncovered. It's a conversation with uh, Chief Braven. He is the man who helped me get in easily the best shape of my life. Between him and his partner, M, they helped me get ready to become the first ever plant-based person on the cover of Men's Health Australia, the transformation issue, me with my nipples out on the front of a magazine. It was terrifying, but I did it. I fucking did it. And it was great. I haven't had a six-pack since then, but it was amazing. I've been close. I kind of keep kind of close to a six-pack, but I've never got that that skinny again. Chief is a really interesting cat, former Australian Army Infantry Officer He is now renowned for his absolute expertise in personal training and boot camps. Chief really led the way with boot camp training in Australia. It was totally ahead of his time there. I wanted to know, though, was he a sporty kid growing up?
4: I was really terrible at literally every sport. You know, I was good at martial arts and I got into karate like when I was young, but then we just happened to be on holidays once and I think maybe I was about 12 years old or something like that and they had a couple of bikes there but none that were short enough for me because I I didn't hit my growth spurt till quite a bit later. So my dad and my sister got on these bikes and decided they'd go for a ride. And I thought, well, I'm going to jog along beside them and try and keep up. And so this went on and went on, went on. And apparently we sort of ended up going, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 kilometers. And my dad sort of said, look, you know, you can run a ride. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, he goes, well, cross country's coming up next month. Why don't you go on the cross country? So I went in and... Had never trained for it, never, you know, knew how to to run properly. And I think I placed third the first year and thought, that's all right, I'm not bad at this. And then from that year on, I never lost, like, the cross country or any of the track events at my school um, in my distances. And found that not only was I a good runner, obviously genetic, you know, you know, benefit to, to, you know, being lean and and slow-tridge muscle fiber and all that sort of stuff, but I actually enjoyed it, like, really loved it. So did track all summer, did cross country all winter and faked my name on numerous applications to do marathons because back in those days you had to be 18 to do a marathon. So, you know, I was doing marathons from the age of about 16.
3: What was your first marathon?
4: First one was the Deke Stella Marathon that was run by our neighbouring school, um, Xavier College, and Deeks went there. Um, so I remember one of my, pr- my proudest moments was actually winning like against all the adults, and getting the medal from Deeks. Wow. Like it was mind-blowing. So that sort of made me think, oh, yeah, there's, there's something to this. And the other person who actually had a big effect on me was we are driving through the, the country somewhere in northern uh, Victoria at one stage and going along and my mum goes, that fellow up there running. And I'm going, stop the car, stop the car. And we jumped out and it was Cliff Young. <laughs> so I jogged along with Cliff Young for about, five or six kilometers on the road and
3: was he in a training run or was he running a race? No, he's no in a training run. He was in a training let just quickly say Cliff Young famously um, won the uh Sydney to Melbourne. Melbourne from, to Sydney, Westfield right. Ultramarathon. It was seven
4: hundred
3: and thirty Melbourne, it was Sydney Melbourne. States. So 700, young, yep. 730 kilometers or something. Yep. Gigantic. Mm. And um famously just run because he had a he had a shuffle and he just wouldn't sleep and just eat nothing but potatoes. It was
4: the perfect <laughs> Um, tortoise and the Hare story. Yeah, absolutely. Because all runners, Kouros, the Greek
3: guy. guy. Well, yeah. yeah, amazing.
4: Yeah, so they'd go out and they'd they'd run all day and then sleep at night. But Cliff just didn't stop. I mean, he ended up winning purely because he just didn't stop.
3: Did you yeah. have a chat? Did you jog alongside and have a yeah, chat? Yeah,
4: he was wonderful. He was a really lovely bloke and um, just typical, you know, farmer. You know, like the rest of my family in, in North Queen. Oh, sorry, um, Northern uh, Victoria at the time. And so yes, yeah, so he was lovely. So that sort of got me interested in the idea of doing ultras and all that sort of stuff as well.
3: Wow, what did you like about? marathon running i think
4: i liked sort of that trying to see how long i could redline for so i used to have a training regime where i'd run to athletics training and it would be i don't know maybe about 10 kilometers and my goal was to keep my heart rate over 190 the entire way there like that was the that was Back in the day, we had no you know, understanding of what heart rate training was or anything like that. But I just remember that uh, I had this really old, looked like a bloody fridge on your arm, heart rate monitor. And I just basically tried to stay over 190 all the way to training. And I mean, obviously, it was of benefit. You know. It, I, and I loved chasing the guys who were fitter than me and older than me and things like that. And we had a couple of guys at the school that were Australian champions and things like that. And so they were a couple of years older than me. I just loved it. I just loved it. You know, do a you love anything that you're good at? Like it's you know just natural that if you, you find something that you actually excel at, you tend to enjoy it more. But I just found that the longer the distance, a the better I was at it. But also just got into a bit of a zone.
3: Fitness training movement—it's all clearly been a part of Chief's life. However, like many of us, Chief has experienced setbacks, things that have prevented him from being as active as he would have liked many years ago. Uh, While he was working security, Chief was attacked and suffered some quite severe injuries. He was prescribed painkillers but found that he became too reliant on them, so he stopped taking them. And then he found himself dealing with chronic pain every day. I wanted to know what he did about that.
4: It was horrendous. I mean, I was was many times over suicidal. Um, The sheer thought of knowing that, this pain would always be there, um, and never sleeping properly, and and it, it just you know it, it almost destroyed me. But and like I the thing that actually even killed me even more talking about withdrawals was um, the doctor said you'll never run again. Like, you'd just never be able to run because when you run, all the muscles around your neck, so um, that run from the occipital groove, all that uh, is going to tighten up and it's going to actually make the pain worse and your body is just going to shut down. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe. And then, um, you know, one day I just, I oh, screw it, I'm going to go for a run. And I think I got about two kilometres and then I woke up about 15 minutes later with gravel rash all over my face. I just, I whited out. I used to white out from the pain, not black out. And... Um, you yeah, every now and then I'd keep trying and, you know, when I met Emily, you know, she was like – she was what got me through it in a big way, um, understanding the, what I was dealing with. But, you know, I'd go for a run and she'd be like, you were going to go for a run for like five, ten kilometres and like three hours later you've wand- wandered back in with blood all over you. And so I sort of gave up on the idea. I thought, okay, it's not going to happen. I just can't do it because it was actually a physical block that my body was sh- shutting me down, not my my brain. And so – I put on an enormous amount of weight, um, you know, really sort of hate, sort of hating on myself quite a lot.
3: Well, you've been physical your whole life. You've been unimpeded by your ability to do whatever you wanted with your body at any point in your life. And you've been really you're like, uh, you know, if I want this thing, here's some training that I can put between me and that goal, <laughs> boom, goal. And now that ability is taken away from you and the ability, you know, the, you've defined yourself as a 16-year-old who lies about his age to go and beat adults at marathons, you know, that's who you but are. It's
4: true and it's so true that like I look back over particularly my time at school and my time in the military and if you said some, anyone like at that time, you know, when I was at school, everyone called me Jim, um, you know, tell me about Jim. Oh, great run, the best run we've ever seen in the military, you know, and they just called me Bourbon because they couldn't say a brave one. Um, you know, like, tell me about him. Oh, you know, fittest guy in the platoon, all this sort of stuff. And it's like that was, like you said, really defined me. Mm. And so it was hard to understand who I was now. And all the way through my military career, Um, and even when I was doing security and all these things, I only weighed about 64 to 67 kilos. Um, I ended up going up to about 98 kilos and part of it was I was doing a bit of strength training and stuff like that, but it was mostly just fat. Um, But what got me through it, funnily enough, was actually boot camp and those nights when Emma'd be asleep and I'd be just awake the whole time and I'd be basically praying for morning because i just needed something to take my mind off it so you know all the crap television because in those days it was not much you know stuff on TV. no internet it's not the infomercials that's right. that's right and so i was just sitting up all night i was trying to read books and all these sorts of things and waiting for morning and then i'd get out there and i'd have my 50 60 you know recruits out there that i train and they were always positive and energetic and all that stuff and i never told them so they never knew And I you know some of them like a We've been trained for 16 years. I said, the first 10 years, I did not know that this was an issue at all. And so they were what got me through it. And so that went on and on. And I dealt with it for many years and just sort of did my thing. And then M had uh, decided she, she wanted to do an ultramarathon, which at the time was hysterical because she incredibly fit, but not a runner, like hated running. Like running 5K, should basically like, okay, let's go and have lunch now. Um, I'm like, okay, you want to do an ultra? I said, well, I'm going to try and do some stuff. And I'd done a whole lot of research and I realized that I couldn't run for longer than a certain period of time without the pain being the issue. So I created a training methodology that allowed me to work at a much, much higher intensity to get greater cardiovascular adaption, but through less period of time so i started implementing that and she was doing her training and um we turned up to our first ultra marathon at centennial park and uh she ended up placing second um i ended up placing third and i thought it's all right i can can do this and so we suddenly found that that was something that we're passionate about and you know we really enjoyed it and we obviously enjoyed doing well at it so you know, for the next uh, God, I don't know how many years now, but five or six years, we we traveled the world, competing in ultramarathons all over the world, and and shared that experience and, and absolutely loved it. And it's it's I found now that I can manage the headaches through all of that and and still enjoy the experience. And I think that might be part of the reason why I was saying earlier, I get my blinkers on, and I get into a different headspace when I race because I can push through the pain when i'm racing whereas there's no way i could go for a training run for 30 kilometers Mm. like it would actually almost destroy me but in a race situation the adrenaline's up and you know see your mindset's different i think it helps me to block the pain
3: how would you i've I've never experienced chronic pain i've been in pain for weeks at a time like when i blew my mcl and stuff like that and but they gave me vicodin for that and that's a whole other story (laughs) did not end well (laughs)
4: doesn't <laughs> yeah, usually been
3: wrong no he didn't even blink chief he didn't even blink he goes oh just give me some and well, that was the beginning of the end for me it's crazy when it, when it comes to when it came to my drinking and using that's for sure how would you how would you explain chronic pain to someone who who doesn't I mean is it is it just a headache that won't go away or is what's worse the headache that won't go away or the knowledge that this is what I've got forever
4: it, it's hard to, to weigh it up in the beginning because and that's the problem that drives the depression. The depression's not caused by the pain; it's just this idea that it will never stop, and and the effect of that. So, like I said, you know, it, it was going to affect the things that were important to me, like running. That I I believed it was, you know, going to affect my relationships. And I'm sure it did. You know, with earlier relationships before I met him, um, you know, it. it it still just drags you down. I think it is that knowledge. And I always, you know, we went back to to see the specialists, you know, every couple of years, they you know, say, let's come in, we'll see if things change. Now they've discovered that the bone's actually calcified over the nerve. So there's absolutely no chance they're going to be able to do anything because they'd have to actually break the bone to get the nerve out. So it is where it is. But it's a hard thing now to sort of try and describe because people say do you still have the headache yes is it still as bad yes but how do you deal with it it's like well you know you wear a watch or a ring or you don't feel it until you think about it and so something that's with you 24 hours a day for that long it's like that you don't know any different. so your mindset is this is how I feel when I have a bad headache so when I do things that create you know a, an elevation in the symptoms then I'm like this is really crap um never gets better. It just is what it is.
3: No matter where you are on your f- journey of fitness or through life, finding the motivation to exercise, to train can be difficult. Chief, well, that's what him and M do best. They motivate people to achieve the goals that they want to achieve. How does do that? Ah, you'll find out on the other side of this break.
1: Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
3: Chief Braben, uh, my guest today, has lived with chronic pain for many years now. I want us to know how having chronic pain helped him try to understand and speak to people when it came to motivating them to get fit? I think what it gave me is an insight into
4: understanding that everybody has things that block them Um, and it can block them emotionally, mentally, physically, obviously, as well. Um, And there's limitations that they often place on themselves as opposed to, you know, what they're actually capable of. And so, you know, working with elite athletes um, all the way down to people who've never trained before, they've all got something that stops it from going one step further and part of it's actually understanding that or identifying it first and then finding a way to address it and often trying to address it without them realizing Um, because as soon as you're aware of something it becomes a, a bigger hurdle and so if you can see something in someone's personality that is stopping them from from achieving or committing or whatever it might be then you want to try and look at ways to work around it, find motivational cues, um, find out why they've come to you in the first place. Because they've come to you. Like I, we don't go out and spruik to people. I don't ever walk up to someone in the street and go, by the way, you need boot camp," Because I'd probably get punched in the face. Probably by a woman if I said it mostly. But um, it's, you know, we don't go looking for those people. They come looking for us. And if they've made that first step, they want something. And you need to understand what they want, but more importantly, why they want it. So a great example might be you know, a guy in his 40s wants to get fit. Great. But why? Oh, I want to look better, feel better, you know, not be as tired. Why? And then you start to break it down to, okay, the guy's you know, in his 40s and his wife's pregnant. So he's thinking back to his childhood thinking, I remember when my old man used to kick the football around with me when I was 16. Am I going to be able to kick football around with my son when I'm in my mid to late 50s? And so that's the reason. So we're on South Coogee Death Stairs where, you know, they're, they're barely being able to drag themselves up the staircase. And I see that, I can say, them. God, your son would be so proud of what you're doing. You must think you're literally a superhero if he saw you out here right now. Boom. Takes off, finds another gear, and that's it. They're the things that matter. Not come on, keep going, oh, you're doing well, Well, that's rubbish. It is more about understanding the individual. Some of them, like, it's just this one, get it done. Like, I didn't realize I said that all the time, but all of my um, one-on-one clients have said to me recently, you know, you say that a lot. It's always that last one or two reps when, like, they're really struggling to physically finish what I've asked them to do. And I just say, get it done. Not, I want you to do this, or come on, you can do it. Just get it done. There's just no way out. Like, there's no answer to it. There's no argument to it. It's like there's no recourse. So, you know, you just got to find what it is that works for people. My, my way doesn't work with everybody you know, by any means. There's, you know, a whole lot of different ways you can approach training and coaching. And, you know, I've known some amazing coaches in my time. They're very different to me. And I would happily, you know, refer people to those, those individuals if I found that my mindset didn't suit the client. But, you know, so far it's worked. So. So
3: you've found the most successful thing when it comes to motivating your clients over the thousands and thousands of people that you've trained right now is identifying the why.
4: Yeah. Understand why they have made that first step to to change. And so it's not what they're trying to achieve, which is what most trainers get stuck on. So, you know, they do what we call a needs analysis when um, you get a new client, okay, what are you trying to achieve and every, every trainer should be doing that to begin with because um, you need to understand what the person's goals are now that's great that's how you create the program the physiological element of what you're trying to achieve then you've got to work out how you're going to get them there mentally and emotionally and that's when you need to find what those cues are and the real motivation behind making that change because it's to do any sort of training or nutrition or or both it's a change in your lifestyle. You're going to make sacrifices. You're going to trade things off. And it's not a small decision by any means. So you need to know why they're making that decision. And sometimes it's scary. You know, again, I, I, I tend to do a lot of work with guys 35 to, to 55. And a lot of it is, you know, they look back at their family history and they look at the health of their parents. And, you know, their parents, you know, father might have passed away, in, you know, in his 50s. It's not that far away. So they start to think about their mortality, and that's really important to understand too, um, because if that is the case, and you realize that it's so much more than they might talk to you about an aesthetic goal, they don't want to lose body fat and be a bit more buff, and, but then you realize they're really actually concerned about their health and well-being. So you need to make sure you're addressing that not only in the training, but in how you're, you're getting them motivated and getting them moving.
3: The full conversation's great. We go right into the kind of training I was doing, the way that I was training, the way that I was eating to lose the weight that I did and put on the muscle that I put on, which was uncommon. I put on, I lost, I think I lost nine kilos of fat and put on two and a half kilos or two kilos of muscle, which for a vegan is hard. And it was actually through that adventure that I figured out that I was celiac, but I'll I'll tell you about that another time. It's a cracking episode, episode 246. Scroll on back. You can find Chief on Instagram, Chief Brabon, C H I E F B R A B O N. You can also find Emily on Haynes, his wife, on there as well. She's fantastic. Thanks for listening. Thanks heaps to Brie who produces episode, Andy Marr on post production, Rachel Barrett our executive producer, Toe Hider, who's got a new album out for making all the fantastic music, and you for listening. Thanks for listening. Look after yourself. I'll see you back here on Friday. Until then, keep breathing.